Open your Bibles. We will be in 1 Samuel again, and this time chapter 18. I want to give a little bit of an overview of where we've been. A few of you haven't been with us or you don't know the story up to this point. We've only had two weeks previous, and the first week was David being anointed as king. And remember, David has no aspirations for this. He doesn't know this is coming. Samuel comes to his hometown, and Samuel says, Show me, Jesse, all your sons. And he's like, is this all you got? And well, we got this other younger kid. He's out tending the sheep. He goes, bring that guy. And the Lord says, that's the one. This is the Lord's choice. Only problem with this is there is a king right now. His name is Saul. And he's not planning to step down. So David is in this gigantic waiting period until he's going to become the king. But he knows he will be. Last week was the big iconic story of one of the biggest moments of David's life. He kills Goliath, the giant, and he does it in a very unconventional way with a sling and a rock. Everybody anticipates that whoever fights Goliath is going to do it with swords and shields and all that, and David's like, not my jam, I'm using the sling, and wham, one one sling of the rock, and he kills Goliath. This week, we pick up with the twisted relationship between Saul and David, and we're going to have this over a number of weeks in which this relationship begins to just perk and come to the surface. Now remember, at this time, Saul has no clue that David has been anointed as king. He was not there when Samuel came and poured the oil on David's head, and word of that has not really spread out too broadly. So David knows that. Chances are good David's family knows that. Certainly Samuel knows that. But Saul and most of the individuals around Saul do not know that at this time. But you'd have to be stupid and dense not to realize that David is on the ascent. David, everything David touches is just turning to gold all around him. And Saul is certainly recognizing that, and he is recognizing that he doesn't much like that. He doesn't like the fact that David is succeeding in wildly uh, wild ways beyond whatever he could even imagine for his own life is happening to David. Let's read our passage today to learn more. I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 18, and I'm starting in verse 5. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him over the men, Saul set him, rather, over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, The women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the entire kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I'll pin David to the wall. But David evaded him, and here's the word, twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, 
But he departed from Saul, so Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people, and David had success in all of his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fear, fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then, David said, then Saul said to David, Here is my eldest daughter, Merab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, Who am I? And who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Maholothite, for a wife. Now Saul's daughter Michal loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, You shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, Speak to David in private and say, Behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke these words in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I'm a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. And then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged in the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the night, the time expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave, him to to his, Saul gave his daughter Michal for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David, so Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commander of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. I'm going to step on your toes this morning. I'm just telling you that right on the get-go. And I want to define for you this morning what envy is. I have a definition here of envy. Envy is a feeling of discontent with regard to another person's advantages, success, or possessions. Envy is this complex set of emotions on the inside of us, and basically the emotion is, I see what you have and I want it. I see that possession you have, I wish I had it. I see that success you have, I wish I had it. I see the looks that you have, wish, you ha wish I had it. I see what you've done or how you've accomplished something, I wish I had it. And that is happening, again, I think on the inside of most of us. In fact, this is what Mary Lamia, clinical psychologist, says. She says, envy is a secretly held emotion. If you're envious of somebody, it's unlikely that you will ever admit it 
unless perhaps somebody else you know envies the same person. And then you'll join together in denigrating them. Isn't that kind of interesting observation? You rarely would ever say it unless there's another person that joins you and then you would have some fun at that other person's expense. The circumstances in which you might be envious will always involve a social comparison or a competition between yourself and that other person. Such a competition and comparison with others is part of the yardstick by which you gauge or conduct yourself. So you're always in this evaluation mode to say, how do I stack up against them? But I know this quite well. By the way, on the pickleball court, there's all kinds of people that have skills better than mine. And I'm like, what would it take for me to have that? And I, you know, there's an envy on the inside that can happen and spring up in most of us very quickly. I contend today that envy is a common thing for most of us, all of us really at certain times in our life, Because we say, you know, you've got the house I've always wanted. You've got the job I've always wanted. You've got the business success I've always wanted. You've got the brains and the gifts and the smarts that perhaps I've always wanted. And to a certain extent, that is normal. But when it's left unchecked, when it's left to grow, it can become a monster. And it can be a cancer within our soul that turns ugly and diminishes us. And that's what happens to Saul. Saul becomes that man who is so overtaken with the success of David that envy just oozes out of every pore of his body. And we can learn a lot about the envy that tempts us by looking at the consequences of envy in Saul's life. And so we get a chance to learn from his mistakes in order that those mistakes might not be repeated in our lives. What does unchecked envy create inside of all of us? There are four, there's a snapshot of four things that were created on the inside of Saul that I want to cover with you today and apply to our lives. Four snapshots of what envy can create on the inside of us if it's left unchecked. First, unchecked envy creates anger inside of us. Our short story here today about David and Saul, when they come home from the battle, is that they are very successful under David's command, and they are getting ready to come into the city, and can you hear it off in the distance? Oh, there's all kinds of partying, and there's merrymaking with tambourines, my favorite instrument, and and there's, there's, you know, all kinds of just joy, and there's there's dancing, and woohoo, they're coming into the city, and it should be this moment. It is this moment at first in which it's, it's glorious, Because it's the victory parade on our way back after slaying the enemy. And it's all good until it's not good. Because Saul hears what the ladies are singing. And they're singing, Saul slayed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Saul slayed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And at that moment, record scratch, This ain't fun no more. And Saul knows it's true. He knows it's true. But he doesn't want anybody to say it. And he doesn't want David to get the limelight like that. If anybody in the kingdom is going to say anything good, let it be about me. 
and the ladies are saying what's true and what God is obviously doing, David is slaying his tens of thousands. And if envy is left unchecked in our lives, anger is what comes forth. Why? Well, because these women were, again, recognizing something that was true, but Saul didn't want it to be true. And so inside of him, he just became a volcano. Envy almost always happens with somebody close to us. Envy rarely happens with a stranger. Strangers are just statistics. They're over there. I know, hey, I can talk about this guy who's the millionaire, but I don't know him. He's not close to my life. It's usually the friend that I envy because they're in living color right before me and I can compare myself to them and they're the ones that I can envy because, well, I know their story. Anger can flare up. Anger can be at that person. Anger can be at the whole situation. Anger can be at, uh, you know, inside of me perhaps even that I'm not able to accomplish what I think I should be able to accomplish. And that's what happens on the inside. If it's left unchecked, it can go into that space in a hurry. I want to tell you about a great movie that I saw years ago, and I, ha- I need to go back and see it again. Because the movie was filmed in 1984, and the movie is Amadeus, and I have the picture of the two characters here. Let me tell you the story. Some of you know that movie, and some of you don't. If you're a young person, this is a movie about human interaction, and it's really a study in what we're talking about today. Let me tell you about the story. First of all, the story is about Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, better known to all of us as the famous composer Mozart. His contemporary is Antonio Salieri, and the story is told from the perspective of Salieri, who is a rival to Mozart. In fact, Salieri is, in 1780, the court musician in Vienna over the entire kingdom of that time. So the king has appointed him to create music for the king. He worked very hard at his craft. He wrote melodies that were nice and choral pieces that were with fine instruments and works that were quite good. And he knew that God had blessed him. Salieri knew that, that God had blessed him. Salieri, as a young man, prayed fervently to God. He said, let me make music that will glorify you, Father. Help me lift the hearts of people to heaven. Let me serve you through my music. And so he's this pious man also. Then came the boy wonder, the child prodigy, young Mozart. He dazzled the crowds, playing music as if it were second nature to him. Complex melodies came from his dancing fingers. fingers. His songs soared till they seemed to bring heaven right down to earth. And here's the catch. Mozart was such an obvious sinner. He was immature, vulgar, obscene. He made off with the ladies every chance he got. Salieri grew green with envy. How could life be so unfair? He was the servant of God. Why should Mozart be blessed with such talents? Salieri lived a pious and obedient life. Why should Salieri traffic in all of these worldly pleasures and still get so far ahead? Salieri spent a lifetime of hard and tedious work. Why should it be all so easy for this young Mozart? The story continues until Mozart dies a mysterious death 
and Solieri's eyes gleam. And then the dramatic climax of the movie, Solieri sits in an insane asylum where he curses God for denying him the kind of talent that blessed young Mozart. Solieri died the victim of his own envy. Envy almost always begins with a sense of anger at someone else, at the situation, at yourself, kind of fill in the blank or all of the above. And this is the second snapshot. The second snapshot is that unchecked envy creates violence. The story continues with David being called to the palace because, well, Saul is in trouble. Saul is uh, this madman and he's ranting and raving and David is called to the palace for Saul so that he can play his harp and calm this man because it says that this destructive or harmful spirit has come upon Saul. Now I do not even pretend to know what that means. I have so many questions about that. What is that spirit like? What was the role of God in sending that spirit or allowing that spirit I mean, how does that occur? Can that still occur today? I mean, I've got a thousand questions that the text doesn't answer. But this is what we do know, is that David is able to soothe this man. Isn't that ironic that the guy who's causing this in his life is also able to soothe it in his life? In fact, that's exactly what Walter Brueggemann, the great Old Testament scholar, says. David drives Saul wild, but only David can soothe Saul. Saul is left with an endless cycle of rage and comfort, wherein the comforter evokes more rage, which requires fresh comfort. And so again, there's this twisted relationship that Saul needs David around him to soothe him, but he's also the thing that's causing him all the consternation. And so Saul reaches a point at which he has just had enough, and he hurls his spear at David, And the words that come out of his mouth onto the scriptures is, I will pin him to the wall. And here's the strange thing, is that he tries it twice. David, bro, this man's trying to kill you. Get away from him. He is not a safe man to be around. I mean, that's what you want to say, because, you know, David's just a trusting guy at this point. And David's like, you know, whoa, hey, where did that come from? And so David, again, is being hunted by Saul to kill him. Envy can have this effect upon all of us. It can lead us to want to remove the person that's in our lives. And it's not always by killing them. Oftentimes, we want to just knock them down a peg. So if you're envious of that person, you maybe want to cause some destruction of some kind of their reputation, or you want to sabotage them in a certain way, or you want to rejoice when they have a physical or a financial setback. And so again, it's not always that you're going to go kill somebody, but violence comes in many forms. You know, Jesus even said, you know, the sharpest instrument in the, ma- in the body is the tongue, and the tongue is the thing that we use to kill people all the time with. And that's exactly where envy can take us, is to want violence against somebody. Denise and I were chatting yesterday, and I was asking her about this. I said, do we have something in the background here about this idea of, of, you know, of wanting violence against somebody or wanting to harm somebody? And she remembered this great time when we lived in Colorado, and we knew a family that every year in our subdivision, you remember we lived in a subdivision 
we called it Governor's Ranch, or we called it the Gov, because it was the place we always wanted to live, and we finally got to live there. There was about 150 homes in this area, had a nice pool area, had a nice little clubhouse area, and there was one family that had some means, and every year they had a humongous Christmas party at their house, invitation only. So if you got to go to this party, there was decorations galore, there was a hayride with real horses around the whole subdivision, there was uh, food, drinks, I mean, I, I can't remember, probably live entertainment, I mean, it was just, it was all over it, right? And the, about the second or third year there, we got invited to the party, and we kind of couldn't believe it, but we put two and two together, our son John was in grade school with their daughter, who kind of liked John, so we got invited to the party, and, and it was all that, all right? First and last time we ever got invited. I, I don't know if we offended somebody or what happened, but we didn't get invited again. Fast forward two or three years later, and there was a falling out. We'll call this family that hosts the party Mrs. Parker. Mrs. Parker had a friend that she had a falling out with, and that friend, I don't know what was motivating her, maybe some envy on the inside somewhere, but her friend says, I will get her. She thought of all of the people that Mrs. Parker would never invite to her party, would never want at her party. And she meticulously made invitations, handwritten, and mailed it to those people. You can only imagine what that party looked like pre-Christmas. Walking through the door was people that Mrs. Parker had never invited. And people are coming in with great thankfulness. Thank you for inviting us to your party. Well, I didn't. Eruption. You can only imagine the damage relationally that that caused. But it was all sparked on the inside by saying, I will get you. I will somehow knock you down a peg and again, I'm not saying, because I don't know the whole story, that it was all envy there, but I think that part of that had to be operating on the inside of that person that did it. The third snapshot, if left unchecked, envy can create fear. And our story continues in verse 12 when it says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, and the Lord had departed from Saul. And here's what's strange. <laughs> think about this for a second. We've known the story up to this time. Who should be the one afraid? David should be the one afraid. Saul's trying to kill David. He's throwing spears at him, all right? And, you know, I would be fearful of that. But the text doesn't say David's afraid at all. Saul's the one that's afraid. Saul is the one that's so worked up that Saul is seeing his life slip away from him, his kingdom slip away from him, his king slip, kingship slip away from him. And so he does something very extreme. He sends David away. He wants to get him out of his presence. So he makes him a further military leader. It's called a military over a thousand. I don't really know what that means, but it's a further promotion. And he's like, I got to just get this guy out of my presence. I got to send him somewhere else. Oftentimes when envy is operating on the inside of us, we just want to get away from the person that's causing that on the inside of us. And we want to put distance between us and them. Because to be around them just reminds us so repeatedly of what we do not have. 
I fear being with the person because it makes me look so bad. If they have the power, or if I have the power, rather, and so I seek to send them someplace else, transfer them to another part of the company, uh, move away, send them to another team, I don't know, but I mean, there's some action that I would take. And oftentimes when envy becomes like that, it, it's, it's because we have this fear of what being around that person might do with us. But Saul's plan in this case backfires because David is sent away. He becomes a further military leader. And guess what? More success, more success. It just keeps on going. In fact, in verse 16, it says, But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. And the David's just claim, proclaim of David and, and the acclaim of David just keeps on spreading all the way around. Envy often creates inside of us this fear that others will continue to succeed and we will continue to diminish. And that can leave us with a great sense of despair. All right, here's the fourth snapshot I want you to see today. The fourth snapshot is that unchecked envy can create scheming. Saul has two daughters, and as is customary in the ancient world, you'd always marry off your older daughter before your younger daughter. And so Saul comes to David and says, won't you have Merab, my oldest daughter, to be your wife? And David says, uh, thank you, but no thank you. He goes, you know, who am I? And my family is this poor little, uh, you know, we're hillbilly family, and you're the royal family, and I don't think there's a good match there, so, you know, I better pass. And so Saul takes his oldest daughter and marries her off to another man. Story goes on, but he's got another daughter, Michal. And guess what? Michal loves David, and David loves Michal. And so Saul gets wind of this, and he goes, hmm, I can use this. And so he begins to hatch this plan on the inside of his life, and he says, I will make my daughter a snare to David. Now, what's a snare? Again, we don't use snares in our lives very often, but a snare is something that you use literally to catch an animal or catch a bird that's unsuspecting. And so you put the snare out in the woods and then the animal comes and it gets its leg or gets its wings caught in the snare. And so he's using his daughter as this instrument to get David. Now, what does he require of David in order for David to marry? If David doesn't have money and David doesn't have any, you know, it doesn't have a great family line, then what can he offer? And this is what Saul says. You'll bring to me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Now, not to get too graphic here, but this is the B-I-B-L-E. <laughs> and Jewish men do not have foreskins. Philistine men do have foreskins. And so if you can bring me the private parts of the men, I can inspect those and know that you killed the Philistines. And so again, think of this in your head. I want to give you a visual picture, uh, not what you're thinking, but I'm going to give you a visual picture. And I want to give you a stringer of fish. This is me when I was a little guy. Went out with a family friend for a great day of fishing. And you can see that we had bass and crappie galore oh they were it was a great day of fishing when we went out i don't remember what year that was but i looked to be maybe i don't know nine or ten years old there and it was a great day now i show you that to show you that stringer of fish 
And what Saul was asking David was, bring me the stringer. And it wasn't fish, all right? And he says, that's the cost of marrying my daughter, Michal. Why does Saul do that? Because he says, if he'll go out and take those kinds of military risks, the Philistines will kill him. I won't have to worry about it. Little did he know, David said, game on. And in record time, David comes back with the stringer and it's not just a hundred foreskins, it's two hundred foreskins. Success upon success upon success. What choice does he have? He hands over his daughter Michal to his enemy, David. And the story ends like this. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than the servants of Saul. And so his name was highly esteemed. The story today has two characters, Saul and David. David can't help himself. He's stumbling into success after success, and, well, (laughs) Saul's the exact opposite. Saul, in this case, is this little man. And I realize, actually, in real life, Saul's this tall guy, handsome guy. But at this point in the story, he looks like this little puny guy. Why? Because he's green with envy. David makes him so angry, and everything that David does succeeds, while everything that Saul does is continuing to fail. And so David is becoming a stench to him. That's what this story is all about, is what envy can do in your life if left unchecked. It can have disastrous consequences on you and around the people that love you. And it can just erode your soul from the inside out. And so what can we do? Can I give you two things to think about today? I, by the way, I hope you have identified somebody that you have a little, a little bit of envy for. Because this, this will just fall on deaf ears if you can't kind of go, ooh, wow, yeah, I'm thinking about this person right now. Number one, let envy be a tutor to you. Because envy is telling you something that you really like or value in life. So if you're looking at that person, you're envying them because of their looks, well, chances are you, you know, really value looks. If you look at them and they have got money that you don't have, you're saying, wow, I really value money. And if you can identify the thing that really is of value to you, chances are good that you can arrest it before it becomes something that's toxic. So identifying it is, you know, almost half the battle is to go, wow, okay, this is the thing I'm really thinking a lot about. And so I've got a clear handle on that. Number two, measure yourself against your own past. So it's always easy to say, I'm not as good as they are. But measure yourself against where you come from. What are some of the successes God has given to you? What are some of the gifts that God has given to you? And if you can do that, you can put in perspective what you're really asking. Chances are pretty good. You haven't totally failed. It's just that you haven't succeeded as far as they have. Well, that's okay. God's still in process with you. God's still at work with you. And so by looking at the ways that God has already gifted you and rewarded you for, again, your faithfulness to Him and your faithfulness to others in life, that's a good thing. And, And that puts in perspective what we're talking about here. It's the rare person who automatically has the impulse to feel glad when somebody smarter, prettier, or richer is with them. Nevertheless, it is possible to cultivate 
and a spirit of generosity and to let this cruel spirit of envy somehow be pushed off to the side. Let me end with a story that I think tells this well. Linda Ronstadt, the famous singer, 11-time Grammy Award winner, recalls the first time that she ever met her fellow singer, Amy Lou Harris. She said, my first reaction was slightly conflicted. She says, first, I loved her singing wildly, but second, in my opinion, she was doing what I was doing, only she was doing it a whole lot better. Then came a split-second decision that I made that affected the way I listened to her music and enjoyed her music for the rest of my life. I thought, if I allowed myself to become envious of Amy Lou, it would be painful to listen to her, and I would deny myself the pleasure of it. If I simply surrendered to loving what she did, I could take my rightful place among the other drooling Amy Lou fans, and then maybe, just maybe, I might be able to sing with her someday. And so I surrendered. Linda went on to not only sing with Amy Lou, but also to sing with Dolly Parton. And they won three, they had three award-winning albums that they did together as a result of her posture towards Amy Lou Harris. Imagine if she had never arrived at that space. She would have just had disdain for Amy Lou Harris. She would have just burned all of her albums in her house, never wanted to hear her on the radio, turned off every show where she won an award. Instead, somehow, she surrendered to that and what resulted was even better relationships, even better music. Envy can happen inside all of us. It's what we do with the envy that matters. Trust God with your life. Your day is coming. Let's pray. Lord, this is practical. We are not as far off from Saul as we might imagine. We have people around our lives that are wildly more successful, wildly more wealthy, wildly more pretty than we are. And if given into the temptation that Satan is always pushing at us, we can do strange things with that envy. And so today we ask you, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. You keep that in check somehow in our lives, in perspective in our lives, and make us grateful for the people you've made us to be, for the gifts and talents you've given us, for the ways you've used us in the past and the way you're going to use us in the future. And let us be genuinely happy, excited for the success of others around us. Lord, that's you. You're never shrinking back to celebrate when your people do something good. And that's what we wish to cultivate in our lives. We're humbled before you, Lord. We confess our inclination to be in error. And we want what's good to grow in us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.